0: I'm um, really glad to be here uh, today. I've had a really crazy, wild and woolly weekend. I'm happy to talk about it another time. But uh, what I, I do want to tell you about is I've I've had this really fun set of interactions with folks from our church ever since Easter. If you were able to join us for Easter, I shared this uh, story about um, me and my uh, little scooter life. And uh, since then, I've had all sorts of fun things happen. Just a uh, just a week and a half ago, maybe a week ago, I was um, finishing up a breakfast at a restaurant in town, putting on my helmet, and someone I didn't really recognize, driving in an SUV, pulled up to me, rode their window down, said, "Hey, Eric," <laughs> gave me—they uh, gave me the motorcycle signal in their SUV. It was great, and I've uh, been getting all sorts of like fun little comic strips or messages or pictures, and. And I just want to share my favorite one from this week. It came with two words. It just said, I couldn't, well, three words, I couldn't resist. Uh, and then this picture was attached to it. <laughs> that is someone with a real motorcycle. And uh, now you know why I crave more power, because that's way cooler than what I've got. Um, and we actually, as it turns out, in a sort of an interesting way, we are going to talk about the, um, the craving for power today. Um, listen in. But as we get started today, why don't we simply just come before the Lord to get started. Lord, we thank you for the kind of weekend we have been allowed to have, for the glories of where you have uh, placed us how exquisite your creation is, and for all the things that have been going on in the lives of people around our county over this uh, last week, week and a half. So we pray for all those who've been going through some sort of transition. We we pray for those um, who are graduating from kindergarten and from fifth grade and from eighth grade, from high school, from undergraduate school, I pray for those who have been hooded in this last week after they've accomplished their master's or doctoral work. We know that all of them are headed now into something new and beautiful and glorious. And yet, we also know it does not compare to what it is you have in store for us. And we confess that oftentimes our imaginations are so small, we just see the next tiny little inflection point in our own lives. Would you pry open our hearts to see something bigger today? the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our Lord, rock, and redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so uh, this is uh, now today chapter five of Revelation. We're going to work our way through this really extraordinary, maybe complicated, overwhelming book through most of the summer. And what I've been wanting to say so far about um, Revelation, I want to make sure we're really clear about this. It's going to get harder and harder to hold on to this, okay? Revelation is not fortune-telling. It's not a headline of things. We have to try to parse out and understand in some ways about actual events and actual people and the way we're prone to wanting to read it. Instead, Revelation is well, it's an apocalypse. An apocalypse does not mean cataclysm. It does not mean catastrophe. An apocalypse is an unveiling. It's pulling back the curtain. It's revealing things to us that are are not always obvious uh, to us as we just live our day-to-day lives. No, it's, uh, it's, it's not seeking to tell the future so much as it's seeking to introduce us to a person. It's not about events. It's not what, it's who. Over and over and over again, we're going to have to be reminded of that, especially as things get really weird next week. So, so far, what we've seen is the Lord has given, through an angel, to John, a set of uh, letters to give to the churches, seven churches, actually, which means it's not just a letter to those individual churches, but the, the number seven means it's also the complete whole message of what might be true for the church in all times, including this one. And those seven letters end with this invitation from Jesus, saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever lets me uh, in, I will let them eat with me, and I will eat with them. And then in this really stunning way in chapter 4, right after that, Jesus opens a door. The door is open into the heavenly places, and and the invitation is, won't you come? Won't you come in here? Let me show you. Let me show you what's actually really, truly happening behind the veil, And what we see are these four winged creatures with eyeballs in every place. There's like an ox and a lion and an eagle and something that looks like, at least has the face of a a human. Representing all of the um, living creation everywhere in all times. There also are 24 elders who are sitting on thrones and have crowns representing the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the, the 12 apostles that we see in the New Testament. So the, the whole people of God are therefore represented. And they're all sort of circled, focused, surrounding, surrounded, centered on the one on the throne. And the 24 elders will get down off of their thrones, take their crowns and lay them at the feet of the one who's there. It's where we get this idea that we sort of sing whenever it is we sing Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's this image of this never-ending worship. Last week, what we said is we get to participate now, right now, on this side of the veil. We're, We're part of that story. So it changes the way that maybe we think about the way we fold laundry. That was That's like my big one. Or the way we take out the stinky fly-ridden green waste to the side of the street. Or the way we sit uh, in that hour-long staff meeting that should really just take about seven minutes. Right? All of that changes when we understand what's happening on just the other side of the veil. We are part of it. We're part of that story. That impulse for worship can also come from us in our day-to-day life. And today, chapter 5 actually continues in that same scene. We're going we're to see the creatures again, and the, and the elders again, and there's a throne again, and we're going to see all that. We're going to read, actually, all of chapter 5. It's probably the longest reading of scripture typically that we would want to do but we're going to do it and here's why blessed is the one who reads this book aloud and blessed is the one who hears it so we're going to read it but before we do that we're going to I'm going to sort of like walk you through the story of what happens so then you can hear it with sort of a fresh set of imagination and ears to hear because the original hearers they they had sort of a, a an apocalyptic vocabulary that we don't we don't have some of the images some of the things that are uh, in here were uh, in revelation are, are things that don't come naturally to us we have our um, we have our own set of of images that um, spring up for us so all this worship has been happening there's been hymns and this never ending song and and then John's attention at the very beginning of chapter 5 is, is drawn in uh, to something that's um, in the hand of the one who's on the throne. And what he sees is it's, uh, it's written on both sides, it's got writing on both sides, and it's, it's sealed with seven seals. And anyone who would have uh, heard that language, both of those things, would have known actually that that probably what this king is holding, it's a royal decree, something about the plans and purposes of the one who sits on the throne, something about um, the king's will is on that Scroll. And for those who are synagogue types, they would have known also that, that that probably also contained the very words of God because the synagogues were, uh, contained scrolls just like this one that people would unfurl to read. But it's sealed. What that means is only those who have the right to read it are allowed to undo those seals. It's like those little wax things you see people sometimes do on the backs of envelopes. That way, you know if it's been broken before you get to it. And who is worthy to actually break these seals? Imagine how that would change the way you handle your junk mail if it was addressed to only the one who's worthy to open this envelope. Who is worthy? Who's worthy to open this scroll, to unseal these seals and let us see what's in it? Well, no one in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And John cries. He doesn't want the the knowledge of God to be shut up, but to be known. And one of the 24 elders, in a very pastoral moment, comes up to John and says, don't weep. Don't weep. Look. The Lion of Judah, the, the Root of Jesse, he, he's, he can do it. That Lion of uh, Judah language comes from Genesis chapter 49, this blessing that's given to the tribe of Judah. And it's a promise really that a Messiah is, is on the way. And then that Root of Jesse language is from Isaiah chapter 11 where we see this Messiah is going to come that's part of that whole line of of human history. And this is probably a good place to point out to you that Revelation has at least 550 references to the Old Testament. which is important for us as a New Testament people. Because a lot of times we're pretty sure the Old Testament's not as important. We don't really need to know it. But at least what's clear from Revelation is we're not going to understand the plans and purposes of God without being acquainted with the Old Testament and seeing it as God's word. Well, this sounds great to John. He's he's excited for, um, for the Lion of Judah, and he turns and he looks and he sees a lamb. He was expecting strength and courage and biceps like Goliath. He turns and he sees a bloody lamb actually standing there alive and not looking very cute. This lamb, as he describes it, let's see if we have a little picture. It's a stained glass attempt. Has seven horns. The number seven is always going to be important. It's a It represents that this... Um, This lamb has all the power, all the strength, all the authority. And this lamb has seven eyes. Perfect vision, representing the full understanding and work of the Holy Spirit. And he's bloody. He's been slain, but he's alive. This lamb is uh, maybe very much like uh, the way C.S. Lewis talks about Aslan the Lion in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I don't know if you would remember this story, but uh, one of the children is really nervous to meet the Lion King. Not Simba, the real Lion King. And he's like, "Aslan, is it? Is uh, is he safe, is he safe? And because it's the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, a beaver answers. And this beaver says, safe? Of course not, he's a lion. But he's good. Oh, is he good. He's the king, I tell you. And we should have something like that kind of emotion now as we see this or sort of imagine what is sort of this, this shocking creature with seven eyes and seven horns, bleeding and bloody but alive. He's the king, I tell you. And in a way that we can't understand, apparently this lamb also has opposable thumbs because he goes and he takes the scroll from the throne. And as he takes the throne, worship explodes in praise. In Revelation 4, we see there are these two hymns that are lifted up to the one who's created and continues to sustain us by his powerful word, and in this moment, as the lamb comes to the throne and takes the scroll, they, they now erupt, not just in praise for creation, but actually for the one who can bring redemption. Just as there's only one who can bring creation about. there's only one who can bring redemption. And there's two sort of hymns that also now sing out praise to the lamb who is slain, who now sits on the throne. And, and then there's a third or a fifth, a, a third in this passage, but a fifth song that, that praises both Creator and the Lamb. Both lion and lamb are then raised up, and they praise the almighty power of God. Now, listen to the way the lamb is why he's worthy to be praised. Because I count my fingers as I do this. He has power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. This weak and confusing and bloody Lamb of God deserves our complete praise because he is completely Holy. We should not take it as an accident that the Lord has lifted up with seven attributes for us to praise. It's on purpose. And then myriads upon myriads, meaning millions upon millions, like a, a Googleplex of billions gather up to sing um, praise to the lion and to the lamb. So there you go. We're going to read it now. Um Word for word, just what it says right here, so we can all be blessed by it. Um, we almost never do this, but what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm actually going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word, and so that we sort of approximate this idea that it is the Lord who's at the center of our life and worship. I'm going to read it aloud from um, the aisle here, between all, around all of us. Feel free to, uh, to listen in as I read all 14 verses aloud. or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth then i looked and i heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon times 10,000 They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they all were saying worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise then i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory, and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. sing that with I don't know if we should sing amen like that every time after the reading of the god's word but it's pretty sweet. It's beautiful for us to participate. Did you see that little detail I forgot to mention? That the elders are holding harps and incense and the incense is the prayers of the saints right now. We offer a sweet aroma. To the living God. Our prayers pierce the veil. As this drama of Revelation continues to unfold for us in sort of this spiraling sort of way, it's worth thinking about the actors who are involved. The Lord, the Lamb of God, is is on the throne, is one of those actors. Another one of those actors is all of those forces who seek to be marshaled against the living God. Those who are anti-Christ, those who are anti-grace, those who are anti-life. And on the other side of the veil, one of the things that we discover is is we're there, but we play sort of like a, sort of a secondary role compared to everything else that's swirling around us. So it's worth thinking about what is this Lamb of God? If we're not one of the primary actors, what, what can we understand, what should we be holding on to about this Lamb of God? John is so excited, like the rest of us, sort of we, we find ourselves kind of holding on to this desire for strength and power and authority. We want a Jesus version of Goliath, massive biceps, sword strapped to his back, insured victory. So we love the idea that the lion of Judah and the root of Jesse is, is here because he's already won victory. He's already done it. And we turn to look. And it's a bloody lamb. He, he hears the promise of a lion, but he sees a lamb. He hears the promise of strength and victory, but what he sees is, is weakness. He's expecting a conqueror, but instead what he sees is victim. God is showing us something we should not miss. He's done work for us we can never do for ourselves. The way he's accomplished this victory is through his death on a cross. Somehow, friends, um, we need to find a way to superimpose both the uh, the, uh, the image of the lion over or under the image of the lamb. Sort of like these crazy 3D images that have always driven me nuts. Maybe you've seen something like that before. They used to be in a lot of stores. You sort of uh, buy this image, and if you stared at it long enough, I don't know if it will work on a screen like this, um, another sort of image can pop out of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you're familiar with these things, and and you can see the other image. Okay, I actually don't think the other image exists. It doesn't exist. What I can tell you is we are called to see both on the throne. Both the one who's the creator and the one who has accomplished our redemption, who's called his people from every nation, tongue, tribe, and language. This victory, and what's right behind it is the cross. Is accomplished through suffering and weakness. We don't like those things. But we need to see them both glory and humility, power and service, victory and sacrifice. What's clear, friends, is if if we need the cross for us to face all that is anti Christ and anti love, we need the Lamb in part because of what the Lamb has actually accomplished already for us. I uh, was reading an article earlier this week about the problem. With Christianity in America. Uh, that was a complicated article. If I were to sit down, at least in every single one of you, every one of you would have some sort of understanding of what is the problem with Christian with American Christianity. Right? You've got your list, or maybe it's like you've got a hobby horse, it's really one thing. Well, this author does sort of boil us down to say, actually, here's the problem with American Christianity. Whether you're sort of way over here on sort of like the progressive, liberal sort of uh, way of thinking and life and even in your faith, or you're way over here in this very conservative, maybe even fundamentalist expression of what it means to trust Jesus, we all have the same problem. And that is we believe in our own activism. As Americans, we think we have the answers. If we just think and work and try harder, we're gonna accomplish it. But, friends, Revelation 5 shows us that we are not supposed to live on the throne, but under it. This work has already been accomplished for us on our behalf. And the problem with American Christianity is is we just, we are addicted to movements. We are addicted to certainty. We are addicted to our own strength, our own problem-solving, our own wisdom. Revelation says you are missing the primary actor in all of creation when you put yourself on the throne. And what the Lamb of God has done for us, we could never accomplish for ourselves. Here's an example of some of those things. When we look at what the Lamb of God or what a lamb does, especially in the Old Testament, we see, first of all, that the the Lamb of God offers deliverance from death. That's what we see at the Passover meal as the the, the angel of death sort of goes through the camp and is turned away from everyone who has the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts. Can you free yourself from death? No. No. And circle around the throne, instead of on it. What we see over and over and over again in the in the Old Testament is um, is that the sacrifice of a lamb actually restores relationship. That it is the way that a promise is enacted. That a relationship is set aside um, to be strengthened. And what we see actually is God saying, in the midst of all that's broken, in the midst of all of my rebellious people, the Lamb of God is going to restore this relationship. Not you. And what we see in Isaiah chapter 53, the, this image of the suffering servant, he is the one who's come to save us all because we can't even save ourselves. He's gathered up all the people of God and said, I will die for the many. I will do it. This is the work of the Lamb of God. Is your activism going to do that? Is your liberal Christianity or your progressive Christianity going to put anything on the throne at all? There is only one that is the living lamb of god who's tackled death on a cross that we might have life friends i want you to actually be really encouraged by that in the way this first century people would have been encouraged by that I want you to sort of, if you can, as we go through this sort of this circle of events that's going to unfold over the next several weeks, I want you to try to hold something um, in, your, in your mind's eye. See, what we're shown in the throne room is the Lamb of God already on the throne, triumphant. And what does He have? He has the scrolls. And He has these things that are, are going to be unsealed. And what I want you to know is even the seals are scary. Next week, we're going to just, we're not even going to look at the scroll yet. We're just going to look at the seven seals that are closing the scroll up. And you know what's going to happen? Horsemen, pestilence, death, the withdrawal of peace, the introduction of judgment. Just the scrolls. It'd be enough for you to panic. In fact, that has often been the, the reaction of people who read Revelation. But friends, remember, this is sort of like this. There's, there's, it's sort of like a movie. Have you ever seen those movies where someone's like um, kind of just happily sitting on the porch? And you, you, you already know the end of the movie. That's the end, but it's kind of the beginning. And then all of a sudden you, like, you flashpoint and you're all the way back to 45 years ago and that same person who's looking much younger now is like, is like in the middle of a battle in Vietnam. You're like, how is he going to get out of this? But you already know because he's sitting on a porch. And so it is with our reading of Revelation. We're going to read some things we're not sure how we should think or act about them. But friends, the living God is already on the throne. He's holding the scrolls. He's like, look, this is done, and here I am. Are you worried? Are you afraid? You don't need to be, friends. The Lamb of God is already on the throne. Some big things might happen this week. You might lose your job. Someone in this room is probably going to die in the next 12 months. Things between the U.S. and China are going to maybe get even worse. There might be like more violence and threats of war and war plans in the Middle East. What can we possibly do? We're so small. This one tiny little church right here in Boulder. What can we do? Friends, no. The Lamb of God is already on the throne. and What that means is you do not need to be afraid. We should look ahead with some sobriety, being sort of um, serious-minded about the things that we face but you do not need to be afraid. In fact, that's why we've been shown this before anything else unfolds. What we've seen so far is a little surprising and a little funny, but not terrifying. I'm going to leave that to Jane to preach next week. Do you know how much the Lord loves you? These things are going to come to pass. They're in the seals. But the Lamb of God is on the throne, and He's called you one of His people. And whatever happens, you know what's going to happen. You are part of the promised people of God. Can you walk with that kind of joy and confidence? What might change about the way you interact with your surroundings if you know the deal is settled already? So as we come to a close here, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Stand up. And I want you in your mind to capture some of the things that are the most unsettling to you that you think you're going to face this week. An argument, joblessness, illness, whatever it is. Hold on to it. And here, you are worthy, the Lamb of God, to take away to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you are slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. You holding on tight. Let it go. The Lamb of God is on the, sl- on the throne, and he's called you one of his own. Amen? Father, we thank you for this clarity and this vision. We pray, Lord, that it would be sustaining to us as we continue to dive deeper into your word. But all the more, we pray, Lord, that it would be sustaining to us personally as we live the lives that are unfurled in front of us. May we trust Lord, in your sovereignty, with what you've done already for us on our behalf, would we live lives of joy, courage, eagerness, and readiness? Because no matter what happens, Lord, we know what will happen. Amen.